So we'll begin reading in John 17 from verse 9. Coming in sort of to the middle or roundabouts of our Lord's Prayer. Let us hear the Word of God. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which Thou hast given me, for they are Thine. And all mine are Thine, and Thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to Thee. Holy Father, keep through Thine own name those whom Thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in thee, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee. And these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name and will declare it. That the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. Amen. Trust the Lord to bless this reading of his word to all of our hearts. Let us ask for his help as we come to rightly hear his truth. Our Father in heaven, we do approach thee as the holy the righteous Father, in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And we ask for Thy help, O Lord, even as we come now to this sacred moment where Thy Word will be preached. We come in a measure trembling, Lord, as the preacher and even as those who are here to hear the preached Word. Lord, we all come trembling. And we pray Undertake for this time, Lord. Please bless me with the filling of the Spirit of God that You will own the preaching of Thy Word. That You will not leave me to myself, 
that you will fill me with the Spirit and grant that everything that comes forth would be of God and not of the flesh. And Lord, as all of us seek to rightly hear the Word, Lord, let us take heed how we hear and bless Thy Word as it comes forth. For we ask in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. Well, last week we were considering uh, Christ as our prophet. And, you know, we're taking these three Sundays that we're here with you in the morning to consider Him as prophet, priest, and king. And so this morning we are considering Him as our high priest. Last week we were thinking of the prophet, you know, we define that broadly as God's representative to man. This week as we think of the high priest, as we think of a priest, we think of man's representative to God. The one who is coming before the presence of God and making reconciliation and interceding on behalf of His people. And so, what we read in Hebrews 2.17 is very relevant to us this morning as we think of Christ as our high priest. Wherefore, in all things it behooved Him to be made like unto His brethren, that He might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. In our larger catechism, in question 44, asks the question, How doth Christ execute the office of a priest? The answer being, Christ executeth the office of a priest in His once offering Himself a sacrifice without spot to God, to be a reconciliation for the sins of the people, and in making continual intercession for them. This is a vast subject, as I noted to you last week. Any of these offices could take several messages. And so there are parts of Christ's uh, priestly work that we're not going to be focusing on today. Our focus is going to be on the intercessory work of Christ. And that is why we are in John 17. Not that we will not touch on His reconciling work, but our focus is going to be on His intercession. This is uh, a glorious thing to consider as we think of Christ as our high priest. Something that is very extremely relevant to your daily life. Something that by the end of this message, I trust you will walk away with tremendous comfort and extreme courage. Knowing that Christ is interceding before the throne of God on your behalf, even now. Louis Burkhoff says this in his systematic theology regarding Christ's intercession for us. Noting the distinction in his intercession versus ours. He says, his prayer, that is Christ, his prayer is not the petition of the creature to the creator, but the request of the Son to the Father. And his point there is simply that Christ's Petitions, his intercession is always according to the will of God. And so as he prays for his people, he prays the will of God into their lives, in every sphere, in every aspect. And this is comforting for us. This makes all the difference as we think about Christ as our high priest. And so we're here in John 17. And I want to take as our passage verses 9 
through 24. And I cannot stress enough that this will be an overview (laughs) of verses 9 through 24. There have been books written on John 17. So we're going to scratch the surface today of these verses. But I trust what we look at will be edifying. So I want to speak to you from this passage, these verses, about how Christ is praying for His people. How Christ is praying for His people. The first thing I want us to notice from verse 9 is that Christ is praying for a specific people. Christ is praying for a specific people. This prayer is a a model for us of the kind of intercession that Christ has with the Father. And so we can say that to some degree, whether it's the exact same or not, this is the manner in which Christ intercedes for His people. Then when He actually prayed the prayer, and even now, Today And he's praying for a specific people. I pray for them. I pray for them. The them is the same that you have at the very beginning of the chapter. As thou hast given him, verse 2, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he may give, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. This is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And so he is praying for a specific People, He is praying for those that have been given by the Father. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which Thou hast given me. And this brings us to consider that great covenant transaction between the Father and the Son in eternity that we can barely enter into in our finite minds. That God in His mercy looked upon fallen humanity and chose out of His mere love and grace to have mercy upon some rather than leave all to their destruction that they have brought upon themselves. He has covenanted the Father and the Son for these people for whom Christ is praying. That's you, if you know Christ this morning. That's you. That as you sit here now, He is praying for you if you are His. And think of it, before the foundation of the world, out of God's mere love, He chose you. For reasons we don't know. But we know that it was nothing in us. There was nothing beneficial or positive in you or me that caused God to choose us over somebody else. Out of His mere love and grace, He chose us to be the recipients of all the work of Christ, including His ministry of intercession. He is praying for those that have been given by the Father. Also here, notice He is not praying for everyone in the world. There's subtle distinction there, but it's a point that needs to be made. He says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world. This is very significant for our understanding of even how the word world is used in John's Gospel. 
See, Christ says, I pray for them. He's praying for His people who are in the world, as we read later on. They're in the world, and yet then He says, I pray not for the world. And so as you think about the word world, this is so significant, especially when we think about such a passage like John 3.16. That God so loved the world. That it doesn't refer to every single individual in the world. And this is not a message on John 3.16, but the point should be made that Christ is making a distinction here. He is not praying for everyone in the world. And so the world can't mean every single individual in the world because He says, I pray for them. And them, His people, are in the world, and yet He says, I don't pray for the world. So He's not saying, I'm praying for them and not praying for them at the same time. This is crucial for our understanding of what Christ is doing as He prays for a specific people, as He makes His satisfaction for the wrath of God for a specific people that He is praying for. And this makes the fact that He is praying for you all the more precious. Highlighting. The Lord could have just said, I pray for them. But he is praying this prayer in the hearing of his disciples. He says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world. Note the exclusive attention that Christ gives to you in this prayer. I pray for them. I pray not for the world. He's not praying for everybody. Yet you've been chosen to receive his prayer. So that's the first thing. Christ is praying for a specific people. The second thing I want you to see is that Christ is praying for the perseverance of His people. Christ is praying for the perseverance of His people. Verse 11. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to Thee, Holy Father, keep, through thine own name, those whom thou hast given me. Keep them. While I was with them in the world, I kept them. So you see these words, keep and kept. And what the point is, is that Christ is praying that as His people are in the world, He is praying for them to persevere in the world. Holy Father, keep them. And I want us to notice several things about this, this prayer, this petition here. This petition recognizes a covenant obligation of the Father. Christ says, keep them through thine own name. Thine own name. In other words, Father, as you have covenanted these people to me, as you have given them to me and as we have placed our name on them, our name is at stake in their perseverance. Keep them through Thine own name. For the sake of the testimony of God Almighty, keep these people. And so, Almighty God, take a moment to consider, Almighty God has bound Himself according to His unchanging nature to sustain you in your walk with Christ. As he says in Malachi 3.6 regarding his name, 
I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Christ has petitioned the Father to keep you, sustain you in your walk with Christ so that your perseverance is assured if you are His. So this petition recognizes a covenant obligation of the Father. But also, this petition recognizes the weakness of Christ's people. It recognizes the weakness of Christ's people. Keep them. I had to keep them when I was in the world. While I was in, with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Now he's saying, Father, keep them as I am departing from the world physically. Keep them. The point here really is that we have to be kept. Do you, do you feel the infirmity of your flesh this morning to the point where you can say, yes, Lord, I have to be kept. If you don't keep me, I'm not going to be kept. I can't keep myself persevering in this world. I need to be kept by Christ, by the Father. And this is the glorious, glorious application of what He said in John chapter 10. He says in John 10 verse 28, And I give unto them, that is His people, eternal life, His sheep, and they shall never perish Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. In other words, I and the Father are keeping these people, and no matter what man, what beast, what demon come against them, my Father is greater than all. And I and my Father are one. We are greater than all. And we will keep these people. We are weak. But He is strong. Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. So this petition recognizes the weakness of Christ's people. And this specifically is a petition for perseverance in faith. A petition for perseverance in faith. I say that because of what we read in verse 12. Christ says that, they are to be kept. I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept. And none of them is lost but the son of perdition. And that, that points out this reality to us. We know that Judas, though he was a part of the, the visible band of disciples, he was never truly a disciple. He was lost. He went into his own place. And Christ says that none of them is lost save the son of perdition. So in other words, these others, because I have kept them, because the Father is going to keep them, they're saved. So it is perseverance in faith. And we need this every day. This prayer that Christ has prayed for His disciples here, He's praying it for us now and we need it every day. All the bombardments that you get every day from the world, from the flesh, and from the devil. And yet Christ has said that He is praying and none of them is lost. 
None of them will be lost. Because we'll, we'll get to it in a, in a moment that He's praying not only for these in this time, but He's praying for a future people that are going to come to Him. And it's the same type of prayer that He's going to make for them that none of them will be lost. And we especially need this prayer. We need to live in this prayer when we are faced with trials and afflictions of the body and of the mind and of the soul. You think of what the Lord said to Peter in Luke 22, 31 and 32. He says there, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. Satan wanted to throw everything he had at Peter, and he did. So much so that Peter even would deny his Lord. And yet, by the grace of God, by the prayer of Christ being answered by the Father, Peter would be brought to repentance and be reconciled to the Savior he denied. This is why our faith, brothers and sisters, must be grounded in the Word of God. That is even part of the purpose of this prayer. Note what Christ says in verses 13 and 14. He says, And these things I speak in the world. That is, in this time, right now, these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word. That's a part of the purpose of this prayer. Christ praying this prayer in the hearing of His disciples so that as they hear it, they can rejoice in the reality that he's, he's praying this for me. He is praying this prayer. He's saying I'm going to be kept by Him. He's saying the Father's going to keep me. He's saying I can't be lost. How could it be that Christ would pray this prayer for me? Yet He prays, He says these words in the world that His disciples hear it and remember it. Because they're going to face things that you and I have never faced. They're going to face an entire world of opposition. But they're going to remember this prayer. John Calvin makes note in his Institutes regarding the condescension of God and His Word regarding this subject of faith and our tendency to unbelief. And he makes the point of God's condescension being that how often in the Word of God, in the Psalms, in Proverbs, and elsewhere, are we told the Word is pure, preserved, undefiled. It's tried in a furnace of earth seven times. All these statements, even the statements of Christ, not one jot or tittle shall pass. All these things. And Calvin makes the point, in all of these places, God is condescending to our unbelief. God is reminding us, because we're so weak in our faith, He's reminding us over and over again as we read His Word, it is pure. 
It is undefiled. All Scripture is breathed out by God. These these are condescensions of God to us so that we can persevere in our faith. So this is a petition for perseverance in faith. But also, this is a petition for perseverance in the world. Note this, that it's in the world. Christ specifically says in verse 15, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. He specifically makes this distinction. He specifically draws his disciples to to hear this. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. As we think of this, you think about the fact that the Lord could take you out of the world as soon as you are saved. He could. He, he doesn't, God needeth nothing. You know, he doesn't need anything like men as we read in Acts 17. So He doesn't need us in the world and yet He leaves us here because His sustaining us through this world brings the most glory to Him and produces the most humility in you. He prays not that they should be taken out of the world, but that they should be kept from the evil. And so what happens to us in this world The bodily infirmities we face, the persecution we face, the struggles in the flesh that we face. They're all all to point us to the fact that we are being kept by God. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. And you know, the Lord pities the world in this way by keeping us here. We haven't gotten to this yet, but in verse 20, after he's already said, he's given them thy word, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. He's given them their word, and through their word others are going to come. And so it is a pity upon the world. Because the people that he leaves in this world, the people that he keeps through this world, are going to serve Him. They're going to do good works and manifest to the world the power of God through the preaching of the Gospel and their service in Christ. That is part of the point why He keeps them in the world. And the phrase at the end of verse 15, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Note that specifically. Keep them from the evil. Different men have different opinions on what exactly is being referred to here because it's rather general. Keep them from the evil. What is the evil being referred to? Is it the devil? Is it afflictions? Is it the corruption of the world? And all the various factors in the world that are in opposition to the work of God and opposition to the people of God? And I simply say yes. 
It is all of it. It is all of the above. It is everything in the world, whether it's the devil, whether it's the demons, whether it's the persecuting people in this world who hate Christ, whatever it is, all the evil that is in the world, the Father will keep us from being overcome by any and all evil. Whatever it is, thou shouldest keep them from the evil. It is a pray, prayer for perseverance that He prays for us. But thirdly, I want you to see that Christ is praying for the sanctification of His people. Christ is praying for the sanctification of His people. Verse 17. Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy word is truth. This points us to that progressive sanctification that we read about in Scripture. This ongoing work that God is doing in His people. He that hath begun a good work in you will see it completed in Jesus Christ. And so Christ in this prayer is praying for the sanctification of His people. And I want us to see several things here. This sanctification that He prays for is through the Word of God in general. Right? It's through the Word of God in general. He says, sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. And this is simply that truth that as we read the Word of God and as we meditate upon it, Christ is praying over it to be a means of sanctification to us. So that it is as we read in Romans 15.4 that all things were written aforetime for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. That this is a part of the prayer of Christ for us to be sanctified through the Word of God in general. In other words, Christ is praying for your Bible reading. Christ is praying for your reading and meditation on the Word of God. And you think of this, the next time you are blessed in a specific way, in a special way by the Word. Christ sanctifies us through His Word no matter what, no matter what our response is or, or anything. We are being affected by the Word. But there are times where, where the Word of God comes in a very specific way to us in our Bible reading, in our study of His truth. I'm sure you have experienced it as I have, and I'm simply making the point, don't lose sight of the fact that that is a result of Christ's intercession for you. This is comforting as well as we think about the preaching of the Word of God. That Christ is praying for the preaching of the Word of God. I cannot tell you how comforting that is to me. To know that Christ is praying in a perfect way that His people will be sanctified by the truth that is presented to them. So that His Word will not return void, but will accomplish the purpose whereunto He sends it. 
And so this sanctification is through the Word of God in general. But I submit to you, this sanctification is through the Gospel Word specifically. The Gospel Word specifically. For even in connection with this, we read of the Apostle Paul in Romans 15 verse 1. What did he say? He says, So much as in me is, Verse 14, he says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Verse 15, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. I'm ready to preach the gospel to you. And so in other words, there there is a specific prayer here that not only is it through the word of God in general, but Christ as he prays, over them, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. We know that Christ says also, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we know that the Scriptures, the whole focus of it is redemption, the whole focus of it is Christ. And so, in other words, Christ is praying for your maturity in the Gospel. He's praying for your growth in grace and knowledge of Himself. And that prayer will be answered. It's not as if any of these prayers you might look at yourself and say, well, I don't feel very mature in the gospel. I don't feel very, very sanctified. But feelings are secondary to the reality of what the Word of God says. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. It's not a question of if He's working in me. He is working in me. In different degrees, in different people, and He brings us all progressively. It is progressive. But this prayer will be answered. This sanctification is also a result of being in the world. He says, Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy word is truth. As Thou hast sent me into the world, even so I... Have I, have I, so have I also sent them into the world. Notice the connection there. I pray that they be sanctified through the truth and I'm sending them into the world. In other words, the world is a part of our sanctification. Us being here, which we've already touched on, but it's here. Again, Christ bringing them to remember all of your experiences and all the things that are going to happen to you. You live in a sin-cursed world and all of these things are a part of why the Lord keeps us here to sanctify us. And grow us in conformity to Him. And the last thing about this sanctification that Christ is praying for, this sanctification flows from our union with Christ. This sanctification flows from our union with Christ. Verse 19, And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. In other words, the Father is by the Spirit bringing us into conformity to Jesus Christ. And this is why Jesus in His humanity sanctified Himself through the truth of the Word of God so that every believer could be conformed by the Spirit to His perfect example. As we read in Hebrews 2.17, it behooved Him. It compelled Him. He was compelled to in all things be made like unto His brethren. 
And you just think of one example of this. One example of Christ sanctifying Himself by the Word of God. You read in Luke 4, by His temptation in the wilderness. Satan coming again and again. And then we're, we're told that He departed for Him from a t- for a time. Not completely, but for a time. And through that chapter, in Luke 4, you read the responses of Christ, all from Deuteronomy, all based on the Word of God, all based on infallible truth. So that even when the devil would twist Scripture and try to pervert its meaning to tempt Christ, he so was saturated and sanctified by the truth that he responded. God still. And He is our example. That is His will for us. That as He prays this prayer for us, we would use the means that He's appointed. And it flows from our union with Christ. Don't, don't, don't miss that. That He is always sanctifying those in union with Him. Fourthly, here I want you to see that Christ, not only is He praying for a specific people, praying for their perseverance, praying for their sanctification, but Christ is praying for the salvation of His people. Verse 20, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on Me through their word, that they may be one, that they may all be one, as Thou, Father, art in Me and I in Thee that they also may may be one in us. So Christ is praying for the salvation of His people. And this petition is based on His sacrificial work. I said we would touch on that in this consideration of Him as our High Priest. It is based on His sacrificial work. He says that I'm praying for them which shall believe on Me through their word. Believe on Him, His person and His work, His righteousness in His life and His satisfaction of the wrath of God and His death. And the beautiful thing about this is that Christ is at this time when He prays this prayer in the hearing of His disciples, He's looking forward with certainty to Calvary. He's looking forward to the fact that He is going to lay down His life for a ransom for many. So that He says in John 19.30, it is finished. It is accomplished. And so he prays looking forward with certainty. And yet now as he prays this prayer, he looks back with certainty. Knowing that his work is sufficient for all eternity. For the people, the countless multitude that will be in heaven singing the praise of God, all of them. A sufficient work for those for whom he prays which shall believe on Me through their word. And note that it's also connected with the evangelization of the world. Christ is praying that these will believe on Him, but specifically He's praying that they'll believe on Me through My disciples' word. What beauty is that? That as you go and as you share Christ with people, you know with assurance that if this person that I'm speaking to, because we don't know who the elect are, if this person that I'm speaking to is intended to be saved, Christ will bless this Word to them. What confidence that should give us. 
What confidence that should give us that as we share the gospel, Christ is praying over that means. And we simply go forward in faith and share the gospel with every creature under heaven that we have access to. And so this petition is based on His sacrificial work. This petition is for His covenanted people. Them which shall believe on Me. Really what I want you to just think about here is is yourself. Not in a carnal way, but think about it. You, Christ, prayed for your salvation. Even even in this prayer, (laughs) neither pray I for these alone, but for them also it shall believe on Me through their word. Insert your name there. Insert your name in that verse. I pray for you so that you, if you are Christ, you are evidence of the ongoing answer to this ongoing prayer. Marvel at that. Don't don't let it slip out as you leave this place today. Do not let that slip from your head and your heart that Christ prayed for your salvation. And the purpose of this petition is that is spiritual unity. The purpose of this petition is spiritual unity. That they may all be one. As Thou, Father, art in Me and I in Thee, that they also may be one in Us. That the world may believe that Thou hast sent Me. Now, we don't have time to dig deeply, really, into this passage There's so much here, but I will simply say that what is in view here is union with Christ. Spiritual union with Christ. So that all those for whom He's currently praying when He prays His prayer, and those which shall believe on Him through their word, that they may all be one. That is, one in Christ. As Thou, Father, art in Me, and I in Thee. That they also may be one in Us. And that is high and lofty truth that our finite minds can barely comprehend a fraction of. And yet this is so crucial because as we come to this and we recognize that it's union with Christ that's in view, that we must see that in the day in which we live, this is so such a controversial thing. Doctrine and practice cannot be cast aside for the sake of false numerical unity. But it is union with Christ and so truth must come first. And I'm, like I said, we don't have time to dig into this, but it's here and so I feel like we have to, we should consider it. Even though that is the case. It's for spiritual unity. It's for union in Christ. And yet at the same time, it's a unity that will manifest itself. And so neither should we forget that those whom we may differ with on secondary issues can still be a part of the body of Christ and we have to treat them as such. That's where I'll leave it. Christ is praying for the salvation of His people. The last thing. Christ, fifthly, Christ is praying for the glorification 
of His people. Verse 24. Father, I will that they also whom Thou hast given Me be with Me where I am, that they may behold My glory which Thou hast given Me. For Thou lovest Me before the foundation of the world. I will that they also whom Thou hast given Me be with Me where I am. This is a prayer for the glorification of His people. The eternal state and welfare of all those that have been covenanted to Him by the Father. So that this petition is for Christ's people to be with Him where He is. It is a prayer for you to be with Him for eternity, free from sin. Think of this in light of the death of a believer. We rightly mourn to a certain degree when someone who knows the Lord enters in to death. And yet, it is their passage into eternal glory to behold Christ, to be with Him where He is. We must never lose sight of that when a believer dies. And think of this in light of the return of Christ. That as we await the return of Christ, this prayer is going to be answered in that way as well. It's answered when believers depart and go to be with Him in glory. But it will also be answered when we're at that consummation day. When Christ returns. And we know not what we shall be. But we know that we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. As, we told, as we're told in 1 John 3, 2. And so one way or another, this petition will come to pass. And so when saints leave, we have to remember this. But then, that takes us back to the petition for our sanctification, doesn't it? Because as we, leave, as we lose our brothers and sisters in Christ, it's part of our sanctification in the world. The loss that we feel. And yet Christ is praying us through that. The purpose of this petition is the worship of Christ. That's, that's where it's all going. That they may behold my glory. And so your life and my life and the life of every other believer is going to climax in eternal, unhindered fellowship with and enjoyment of and worship of Christ. That's where we're going. He is praying all of this so that you will eventually worship Him unhindered. This is how Christ is praying for His people. We have barely scratched the surface as I said at the beginning. But here's the thing. He is petitioning you all the way to glory. He is petitioning you from the very beginning. You were covenanted to Him. And then He prays for you to believe on Him. And then He keeps you believing on Him. 
And He sanctifies you while you believe on Him. And then He brings you to glory for all eternity to behold His glory, the One in whom you've been believing. This affects every aspect of your life. Every day. You, you can live in this reality that Christ is praying you all the way to glory so that you, there's not going to come a point where you're, you're not going to get there because His petitions are always according to the perfect will of God. I trust this brings you comfort and I trust this brings you courage. May we all ever remember that Christ is ever appearing in the presence of God for us. Let us pray and we'll sing. Our Father, we have really no words, Lord, that would express any measure of the gratefulness that we should have and the thankfulness that we should have in our hearts for what You have revealed in Your Word. But we bring what we have, Lord, and we confess the writer of Revelation, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Thou art worthy, O Lord. We are mere creatures of the dust, but you have blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And we thank Thee. And Lord, we sing unto Thee and ask that Thou wilt receive our praise. In Jesus' name, Amen.